Well, he's a good, good father, isn't he? Hallelujah. Part of a royal family in the earth. Can you say amen to that? Amen. I want to say, first of all, just thank you, Pastor Justin and uh, uh, all of Pastor Danny and all of those who've helped put this together. And always good to be with my friend Paul White and all of those who've come. Uh, it's just an honor to be here. We trust we've been a blessing to you. I will leave in the morning to preach in another location, but I just want to say how much we appreciate it. Just, you know, just to know there's a group here that we can kind of recommend and just kind of put, uh, when people ask us, do you know anybody down in here? It's been a little while since I could find one that I could say I could send them to, but this would be a good place. Amen? So we appreciate it. I'm going to open my Bible or my device, whichever the case may be this morning or this evening. See, there, I'm even confused about what time it is. But I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, and uh, I want to read from uh, the Message Bible. Actually, I'm going to read from the Message Translation. Sometimes I like how this thing words things. It's so powerful how it words them. But I'm going to uh, begin to read around verse number 7 of this chapter. It says, The government of death, its constitution was chiseled on stone tablets and had a dazzling Inaugural. Now, how many know he calls the old covenant, think about this, the covenant of death. It's covenant chiseled on stone tablets. You know, for folks who kind of want to argue, I've had people want to say, well, you know, it's not all the law that we're not under. We're just not under the ceremonial laws or we're not under the, uh, you know, or the, the cleansing laws. But, I mean, it makes it pretty clear here that he's talking about the entire law. Can you say amen to that? You know, one of the things that, uh, that happened early on for me when I started understanding the difference between these covenants was, uh, you know, that, that the, 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 you know uh, is that the old covenant was built really to disqualify you. And so, you know, as you start to, to hear a lot of things preached because it brings you to the end of yourself. And I say to people who really want to argue about are we under the law, are we not under the law, and, you know, want to fight about it, I just tell them knock yourself out because until you wear yourself out and you get weary, burned out on religion, I really can't help you. So if you want to give it your best shot until you get burned out, then I can help you. Because somewhere you're going to realize you can't do this. Good to see Pastor Reed this, this evening. I was just wondering if he forgot me or not. Hallelujah. Uh, welcome them tonight, Pastor Irvin Reed and his wife and, and friends and family. I forget who all is with him, but it's good to have them tonight. The government of death, its constitution was chiseled on stone tablets and had a dazzling inaugural. And Moses' face as he delivered the tablets was so bright that day that even though it would fade soon enough that the people of Israel could no more look right at him than to stare into the sun... How much more dazzling than the government of living spirit? I mean, he's making a contrast between the government of death written on stone tablets and the government of living spirit. I mean, the old covenant is about a law you have to keep, and the new covenant is about receiving a life that will keep you. Amen. I mean, the old covenant is about what you got to do, and the new covenant is about what he's already done. 
The old covenant, you know, was all was full of demand, and the new covenant is full of supply. And you know, again, you know, I, I started, you know, years ago when I first started to uh, kind of, you know, I talked about this a little bit this morning. Growing up under classical Pentecostal preachers that were kind of, like I said, terrorist preachers, scare you to death every time. You, and I ought to be clear, clarify what I mean by that: terrorist preachers, not like put a bomb on and blow you up. But the kind that, like I said, would invite you to a last day barbecue and you were what was on it. You know, it must be a pitiful Jesus if the best we've got is you either choose him or the torch. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, you know, I mean, it's like if your spouse was like that, you say, okay, you got a choice. It's either marry her or <laughs> she must be incredibly ugly if that's how you got to do it. But how I many we preach Jesus so ugly, that's the best we can offer people. Just turn to Jesus, you get a fire escape. But I used to, you know, growing up and they came up, you know, they preach against all of these kinds of different things. And I, I would think as we were talking today about some of the stuff that people preach against, not even in the Bible, just stuff they heard somebody else say. And so, you know, I was looking through the scripture one day because, you know, especially I almost feel like as I've gotten into grace that I almost need especially to apologize to women because you all really took the brunt of abuse and legalism. It was always about how you looked, how you dressed, your makeup, your hair. I mean, it was just like the guys could kind of dress all right, but we had, you know, make the women look like uh, Granny from the Beverly Hillbillies. I've been preaching to these Amish folks, believe it or not. I've been preaching to these Amish folks up in Ohio who started watching me on YouTube in their barn because they can't have electric in their house, but they can have it in the barn. It's a legal loophole. They can't own a tractor, but they can buy you an $80,000 tractor and use it whenever they want to. They can't own a car, but they can ride in yours. And so they started watching me on YouTube, these Amish guys did. If you've ever seen that show, which I haven't, but I've heard of it, is uh, uh, Vanilla Ice goes Amish. You ever see that? Well, this is where Vanilla Ice went Amish at. Anyway, this guy's brother brought Vanilla Ice in there because they don't even like for you to take their picture. But they started watching me on YouTube, and they invited me to come and preach for them. And I said, I don't know if I'm your cup of tea or not. I mean, you guys are, you know, they said, no, we've been watching you on YouTube. We want you to come. These, these folks started getting set free, and they went from horse and buggy to driving Cadillac Escalades and one of them bought himself a jet. I'm like, are you free to travel? They own hotels and all this kind of stuff. And so I went up there to preach for these folks. An amazing transformation and grace that took place. And, and uh, so, so I'm sitting on the porch with the women uh, on Mother's Day. And the men were inside cooking for the women on Mother's Day, which is totally unheard of in this culture. They just don't do that. And I'm sitting on the porch with the ladies and they're like, we could build a statue to you. That's <laughs> <laughs> all we could do to keep them worshiping you, dude. Hallelujah. <laughs> you set us free. I mean, they had makeup and they were dressing nice. They got rid of their little hats, and I was thinking about myself, I was standing in one of their hotels, they own hotels, and, and I was standing looking over my balcony, and a horse and buggy pulls up. Right behind that was a split off of that church, was a girl riding a bicycle in a dress. And right behind that was a split off of that church, was a black car with no chrome or white walls. And right behind that was a split off of another church, and you could have chrome and white walls. And it was like, you know, you could see the progression of how they're trying to break away from all of this legalism. 
How many know that religion has, is a thief? I preached about that this morning. It is a thief. It is the thief of John 10. It is some other way that takes your life, but the real gospel will give you back your life. So I started when I got old enough to get, I thought, you know, you know, especially whenever everybody was going to go to hell over an outfit. And I'm thinking to myself as a young person sitting in church, this God must be serious about fashion. He's going to toast you for 15 billion years over an outfit. I mean, we thought we were going to hell if we wore shorts or something. Come on. Maybe y'all never grew up in none of that stuff, but I did. So I thought, well, I'm going to get in the Word to find out where this is at in the Word to see if I can find a scripture for it. So I went over to the book of Deuteronomy. Because it's more about what you Deuteronomy than you Deuteronomy. <laughs> And right there was a text that said, women don't dress in men's apparel. And so I thought, well, that's where they got that from. And so I read that whole chapter, but nobody ever preached the next verse that said, don't mingle your thread in a garment with diverse kinds of thread. Do not mix wool and linen. But I never heard anybody ever preach against a polyester rayon blend <laughs> or a wool suit and cotton underwear. <laughs> never heard anybody ever preach against it. There was stuff in there like you couldn't touch a pig skin. And I'm thinking, I never heard anybody ever t preach against, you can't play foot football because it's a pig skin. And you couldn't eat pork. You couldn't, and, and I never heard nobody in my church preach against a ham sandwich <laughs> or bacon. Some of you sitting in here with bacon on your breath right now. <laughs> Probably pork from right back there in that room we just ate in. And you say, what do you tell us? Because what we do is we pick and choose the parts of the law that are our culture, and we call that the gospel. The first, and I began to see some of this stuff. I thought, well, we, you know, it's either all of it or none of it. In other words, we pick, you know, we pick the parts of it that, we, that fit our culture, and that's what we call the gospel. And I was preaching one time in Peculiar, Missouri, and I had a guy that travels with me that um, some of you may or not, I think Paul has met him, but he, he traveled with, he's actually with me last week, but he's getting, he's 77 years old now, so he, he doesn't go as much. But he came from an Italian mob background. His dad was a mafia boss, and his dad is the precedent-setting case. When Bobby Kennedy was trying to take down the Italian mafia, his dad was the first of the Italian gangsters to go down. He was the precedent-setting case of the RICO Act. And God put this guy's son with me to travel. He traveled with me for probably 20-some years all over the world. And uh, he got gloriously saved, set free, and delivered. He was not a religious bone in his body. That's why I enjoyed having him with me. I'm going to let that settle just a minute. Now, it's not that I'm talking about being ungodly, but I'm talking about, you know, you get around religious people, but you can only take it so long, you've got to get away from them. I don't know if I'm resonating with you all or not. Hallelujah. And so this guy, you know, he was totally loved God to the nth degree, but he still had some words in his vocabulary that he thought were conjunctions that tied sentences together. So I'd have to be careful where, who I put him with, you know, or and when we play golf or whatever, pastors and their elders, I'd say, now, look, if you've got an elder that's religious, don't put my buddy with him because <laughs> he, he still has some things God's working on here with him. Nevertheless, make a long story short, we were in Peculiar, Missouri, and I was preaching all this stuff, and I, and I started taking how we pick and choose the parts of the law that fit our culture. And I really even, even went into Matthew 5, and where Jesus came down the scene, and, he, and he, he begins to introduce what I believe is the constitution of the kingdom called the Beatitudes. 
Isn't it interesting that when Moses and the children of Israel come up out of the Red Sea into the wilderness, they get the law. But when Jesus comes up out of the wilderness, the very next chapter he preaches, I think, what is the constitution of the kingdom, their beatitudes. You say, what is a beatitude? It's an attitude you need to be in. They are attitudes that teach you how to receive the kingdom and attitudes that teach you how to release and minister to the kingdom. And so Jesus comes down through this, and so he says to them, if you don't hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll never be filled. Now, what he was saying, he's talking to an old covenant audience who thought they were righteous. And he's saying to them, if you don't get hungry for a righteousness that's not like this one, you're never going to be filled. You're blessed. You know, if you, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're blessed when you mourn because you're about to be comforted. How many under the old covenant, you mourn, in the new covenant, you're about to be comforted. Yes. And so Jesus comes on down through there and he turns around and he says, except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise enter the kingdom. And I can see the holy dudes go, yep, I thank God I'm not like that sinner. If you're not more righteous than me, you're not going to enter the kingdom. And then Jesus turns on the holy dudes the ones who think they're righteous. And he said, your law says, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look on a woman to lust after, you've committed adultery already in your heart. And the holy dudes are going, oh God, I've become a professional at acting like I didn't notice that good looking woman. You see y'all getting quiet on me. He wasn't dealing with just the action, but the intent. And then he says, your law says do not kill. But I say, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. But right, but right when he comes down to the one where he starts talking about if you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart, he's really dealing with upping the ante of the law. To, see, because the scribes and Pharisees up to that point had made it manageable. I don't know how real you want me to be here tonight. I had a young man get in my prayer line in Baltimore. This was several years ago. He got in my prayer line. I hope this is all right to say this. He got in my prayer line. There's a big, it's a big, big venue we were in, a lot of people in this meeting. And this young man gets in my prayer line, and he said, Doctor, I said, I want you to pray for me. I said, you know, what, what's, what's the problem? And he's kind of him hauled up. I said, what's, well, what's the struggle? If you don't want to tell me, it's okay. He said, well, I'm struggling. I said, what are you struggling with? He said, lust. I said, how old are you? He said, 16. I said, get out of my line. Some of you on medication for it now. <laughs> I, I know you don't want to help me preach. Now, now, to stay with me a minute, don't get real religious on me. I'm not suggesting, I'm not promoting sin, but what I'm telling you is this young man was dealing with what I believe is natural affection. I said, now, if you're lusting for Steve, I'll pray for you. But if you notice that Susie is cute, we've sent an awful lot of young people out of the church who never came back to there were 80 because they were normal, red-blooded American kids who a church told them they were totally lost and sinners. Well, y'all don't want to help me preach. Because I don't care how anointed you are, when you're 16, you're going to struggle through some things. And outside the help of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to, you're, in other words, it's not within your power to be able to change yourself. It's the Holy Spirit that has to do the changing from the inside out. And so right below this lust scripture is, if your eye offends you, poke that bad boy out. 
And so in peculiar Missouri, I called AJ, my mob buddy, up. I said, we're going to run a prayer line tonight. And I said, I want you to help me. This is one of the first times I ever asked him to help me. He said, you want me to help you, boss? I said, yep. I said, you got an ink pen? He said, yes, sir. I said, I want you to stand right here because I'm going to sing just as I am without one plea. And if your eye is offending you and you're struggling with lust, get in his line. He's going to poke your eye out. <laughs> this is not the first time he's ever done it. <laughs> he used to say to me at times when we'd run into conflict, boss, you want to send a message? <laughs> I said, no, we don't do business that way. Hallelujah. It was nice to know I had it if I needed it, Bo. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm just carrying on with you. And so, you know, I, I, so I got him poking hands, and I, I had somebody go back to the kitchen and get, get a meat cleaver, because if your hand offends you, cut that bad boy off. And so I'm going down through this whole list. Jesus taught this stuff, folks. And then, and, 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 and there was nobody getting in my line, and they're looking at me like, I am just the craziest guy. See, if I'd have said, if you want a prosperity line or a blessing or healing, get in this line, I'd have had the whole church full, but I'm going to poke eyes out, chop some hands off. And then I said, I need one more volunteer. And uh, so this old gentleman, and over to my far right, he, he says, I'll, I'll help you, Dr. House. So he says, come up. I said, anybody in the room got a knife? And it was amazing to me, the women were armed to the teeth. <laughs> some lady said, well, I got a knife. She had this little... Uh, like a Swiss Army knife, and she says, oh, here, you can borrow this. Well, when I got this little Swiss Army knife, this guy that got up back there came up the front, he pulls it out of his hip pocket what looked like a crocodile Dundee knife, and he said, but that ain't a knife, this is a knife. <laughs> I said, well, that's probably a little bit of overkill, but stand right here because you're going to run my circumcision line. Because <laughs> if you're going to keep the law, you've got to be circumcised. You know, when I got to the circumcision line, everybody in that church said, Dr. House, we're not under the law. I said, mission accomplished. <laughs> Jesus preached it to conclude all under sin so he could have mercy on all because in the 45th verse, I'm getting chasing this rabbit too long here, but in, in the last verse of Matthew 5, he puts the nail in the proverbial coffin when he says, but be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So he ups the ante to perfection on no other level except to be as perfect as your Father which is in heaven. Now, if you think that's possible under human possibility and human effort, then I say knock yourself out. But once you get to the end of yourself and realize you cannot be perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect on human strength, then you will come to know there's another way of reaching perfection and that's found in Hebrews, the ninth chapter. It says, for by one offering he has sanctified and perfected forever them that are sanctified and so that my perfection is not on the basis of my performance but on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that I stand in perfection not because of what I've done but because the sacrifice was perfect and he has perfected forever. Woo, hallelujah. And that put perfection within my reach. Hallelujah. And all of a sudden, everything began to shift. So the government of condemnation was glorious. But here's another form of government. And I don't want to say this because I think it's very important in gray circles because a lot of people got set free from the government of condemnation and they are not under law. But they don't have the peace 
of the kingdom that replaces the government that used to govern you. You used to be governed by rules on rocks under the old covenant. But in the new covenant, he does not leave you without a government. He brings you into the kingdom and the government of Holy Spirit where the Beatitudes are the constitution of the kingdom that's not written on stone tablets, but is spirit on spirit, God's spirit, the living spirit given to us that governs us from the inside out. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to feel like preaching the Lion King here a minute because when that lion looked in that water and he saw his father, that prophet said to that Rafiki, said to him, look, he looked at the reflection. He said, that's just my reflection. He said, look within. Your father never left you. See, the American church thinks Jesus lives on a planet three miles south of Mars and they don't realize the temple he wanted to build is not made out of real rocks. It's made out of living stones and it's in this room. Hallelujah. And I begin to see that, looks at Emmanuel, that was the whole, one of the whole main points of the new covenant is so he could come and take up his abode and live inside of us. He lives in you. He lives in me. And that line began to sing, he lives in you. He lives in me. And then Nyla shows up because if you're a king, you got to have a bride. Can you feel the love tonight? It's enough to make kings and vagabonds believe the very best. I'll be preaching that if I keep on. Hallelujah. But what I want you to see is what he saw his father lived inside of him. He responded to what Paul preached this morning, and that is some of the stuff that's going on on the planet, God has put within the jurisdiction of our responsibility as kings and priests and sons of the king to govern and to rule in the earth, not through legislative powers, but through the salt and light and power of the Holy Spirit that we carry. We carry the presence of the Lord, and I love it again. I'll re-quote it again from Revelation 21. King James says, Behold the tabernacle of God is with men. But how many know that the message Bible says, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He's made his home in men. He's their God. They're his people. He'll wipe every tear off of their face, not because they went to heaven, but because they moved out from underneath of the curse of the old covenant where God begins to remove the tears. Because under the old covenant, it's a time to weep. and the new covenant, it's time to rejoice. And the old covenant, it's time to mourn. And the new covenant, come on, it's time, hallelujah, to be merry. And the old covenant, it's time to lose. And the new covenant, it's time to get. Under the old covenant, there's time for war. In the new covenant, there's time for peace. Yeah. Hallelujah. I must feel like singing that song, turn, turn, turn. You know, there's a time for this, time for that. Anyway. But I want to say that he, he doesn't just leave us without a governor, but the government of Holy Spirit comes on the scene to do the work from the inside out. So what he does is he just gives us supply in the new covenant. And when he gives us the Holy Spirit, it begins to bring that supply. And then he comes on down through here. I've got to get, move on here. I'll be chasing way too many rabbits. It says in verse number 9, if the government of condemnation was impressive, how about this government of affirmation? So the old covenant condemns you and the new covenant affirms you. Hallelujah. I have a classic message. It's one of our most requested messages I taught out of 
uh, uh, Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus come up out of the river of the Jordan, his father said, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased because the approval of a father will always empower a son. And that affirmation from that father set him on a course of identity that when he got in the wilderness to be tempted, come on, he had just come up out of the river Jordan. And when he came up out of the river Jordan, dad said, that's my son in whom I am well pleased. He hadn't been tested. He hadn't been tried. He hadn't done a miracle yet. But dad said, that's my boy right there. And I just want you to know I'm well pleased with him. And immediately he is in a wilderness. And when he comes into the wilderness, the devil says to him in the moment. He said, if you be the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. Get your identity from your performance. Get your identity from the cold, hard rocks of the law. Command these stones to be turned into bread. And I think he turned around when the devil said, if you be the son of God. See, Adam, help me, Holy Ghost. I feel the preacher on me tonight. Hallelujah. Adam was the first victim of identity theft. And he believed the lie when the devil said, if you be the son. He should have turned around and said to the devil, I'm already like God. Get out of my face. But he became the first victim of identity theft. But I'm going to tell you, you can't steal my identity tonight because I've got life lock. Hallelujah. I know who my daddy is. And when he, 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 did, he refuses to move out of a mistaken identity and when he realizes that you cannot other, the devil said if you, if you command these stones if you be the son of God and Jesus said man will not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we preach cute little sermons about the preceding word, but we don't know what the preceding word was. The word dad just said is, you're my son. And the devil said, if you be the son. I think Jesus turned around and said, evidently you didn't hear what dad just said about me. I don't have to do anything to prove myself. Oh man, I want to chase rabbits here tonight. See, I want to tell you, that'll set you free even as a minister or a man of God is where you don't got nothing to prove. You know, growing up under a lot of that legalism growing up, I had to, listen, one of the problems that we got dealing with people constantly is they're, they're trying to get some identity from something, if it's performance or whatever it is. And when you grew up like I did, I used to feel so beat down that I think, well, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, I'm not. I used to go to football games, baseball games, and stand there thinking, you know, we're just peculiar people and we just don't fit here. And, you know, you just felt like you were, anybody beside me ever identified with those feelings where you just felt like I'm not good enough? My brother deals with drugs and narcotic uh, people that are addicted. And you know what the core of their problem is? They'll usually say it's self-esteem, but it's really bigger than self-esteem. That's, that's pretty good as far as what the world has to offer, but it's really a mistaken identity. They bought into a lie, and a lot of the lie came from religious background where they were pushed away by somebody that told them you aren't good enough or valuable enough for God to care about you. Amen. And the thing you have to do is bring them back to a revelation of who they are. But I, I, when I, listen, when I, I got, I, I'm not getting anywhere near where I thought I was going to, but I'm going to follow the flow of the Spirit here tonight. I got, you know, when I, when I, I walked away from God in my teenage, or I thought I did, because they told me I was backslid. I mean, so I thought I'm backslid because, you know, I wanted to play sports. I wanted to do some things. I can remember thinking, I have, I, I, look, I've gotten saved for the 35th time. I've been baptized forwards, backwards, everybody's name you can think of. I've been double dipped, sprinkled, shook at. Come on. 
and I love God, but I can't do this. I'm just, I can't live it. And that's what most people get to the place. And so I thought, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I love him. He don't love me. Hopefully, at, you know, at my final moments, I got a few minutes to repent because I'm thinking he loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. I hope I die and he loves me. And so I got to the point where I just said, I'm just done with this. And I started, if I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to at least enjoy the ride. So I walked away from what I thought was God and really ran right smack into him because he really never left me. But when I finally came back, what I thought was coming back to the Lord, I thought to myself, well, you know, uh, that same thing that was driving addiction in my life before I got saved or before, you know, yeah, before I got saved was the same thing that was driving my addiction in ministry. Now stay with me a minute because I'm going to help somebody. Because I would get to the place I'd think, if I could preach for that guy, I would finally feel like I'm affirmed. And then I'd preach for that guy. And it wasn't enough. I, I need to preach for this guy. Because I need to find, in other words, it was always the struggle to, if you be. Come on. It motivates a lot of ministers even to put their gifts on display. Because they're looking for the approval of men, even in the flow of the gifts of the Spirit at times. And so I kept climbing this ladder, so to speak, and, and preaching in bigger places and well-known places. And I ne I'll never forget, this happened back probably, out, I'm thinking about 2005, I believe it was, that I preached in Atlanta for Bishop Eddie Long before he passed off the scene. And when I preached for Bishop Eddie Long, which is a, a mega church of about 28,000 people, but I preached at a conference there where there was probably 1,500 to 2,000 well-known pastors. And when I preached, these, these, these preachers on their feet slapping each other, just shouting me down while I'm preaching. And the Holy Spirit said to me when I walked on this platform, I'm about to get tore up. He said, if you're looking for the approval of men, it don't get any bigger than this. But if you're happy with my approval, you'll never care if you're preaching to 30 or 30,000 and it set me free from needing the approval of men to get my identity because when I have daddy's approval and when you get daddy's approval and that's enough for you you will become very dangerous to religion and Jesus came out of the wilderness in the power of the spirit because he knew who he was and he knew who his daddy was. I do what I do, come on, because I know who my daddy is. Not to prove anything, not to, you know, hallelujah, I appreciate, you know, and so at one moment you may be in a large venue, you may be in a small, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to set you free. See, some of the most, to me, some of the most successful people in the world are not the big platforms. They're the small boots on the ground, local churches that have got the guts to preach a message. And I'm going to tell you something else. I have a real heart for small local churches because the truth of it is, is they let you preach your heart. And the only way it gets to some of these big places anyway is because some of these small ones, hallelujah, will let you preach your heart. And they get the tapes. <laughs> or watch the videos. Are you hear where I'm coming from? 
And so I, I really believe that when you know who you are, you will come out in the power of the Spirit. I'm not getting very far. The government of condemnation was impressive. How about this government of affirmation? As bright as that old government was, it would look downright dull alongside this new one. If that makeshift arrangement impressed us, how much more this brightly shining government installed for all eternity. Now, let me take you back to the book of Leviticus, I believe it is. Leviticus 21. I want to try to grab this real quick before I, I quit tonight. Leviticus Chapter 21, am I making sense to you? I know I'm all over the place here, but Leviticus 21, I want to read this from King James. I think that's the right place here. Hallelujah. Yep. Now you'll think I'm preaching legalism for a moment, but stay with me. And the Lord spake to Moses, this is verse 16, Leviticus 21. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, saying, Whosoever he be of thy seed in their generations that has any blemish, let him not approach to offer the bread of his God. For whatsoever man he be that has a blemish, he shall not approach. A blind man or a lame or he that has a flat nose, or anything superfluous, or a man that is broken-footed, or broken-handed, or a crookback, or a dwarf, or that hath a blemish in his eye, or be scurvy, or scabbed, or has his stones broken. Ouch. No man that hath a blemish of the seed of Aaron, the priest, shall come nigh to offer the offering of the Lord made by fire. He has a blemish. He shall not come nigh to offer the bread of his God. Now, what I started to see, I look at this scripture. And I, I, I used to preach this. See, like I said, I, I grew up around that stuff. And most of us only preached what we learned from somebody else. Until you get a revelation yourself, you're going to just repeat what you heard somebody else say. And I say with all respect to the men that I grew up with, that they did the best they could with what they knew. But many of them had sixth and seventh grade educations and just heard somebody else preach something that wasn't even in the Bible, and we perpetuated for generations until it's cost us our kids and our youth, come on, and our futures. But I would take this text because this is how I learned to preach it back in the day. And I talk about every one of these things uh, that, that, that he would say was disqualifying you if you had any kind of a blemish. If you were a blind man or a lame man or you had a flat nose or anything superfluous. And I would get in this thing and I would get in this rhythm of preaching. And I'd say, if you got, if you were a lame man, uh, you were disqualified from eating the bread of your God because you ain't walking this thing out in holiness. Uh, and you need to be walking in holiness. So if you got a broken foot, you're disqualified. If you got anything superfluous, it's a running sore. You got a grudge against somebody and God has disqualified you from eating the bread of your God. If you got something against your neighbor, you need to forgive your neighbor or God won't forgive you. You got a running sore. You need to be healed. If you got a blinded eye, you are rejected. And if you got anything in your eyesight and your vision is not correct, God has rejected you. If you've got, you know, and I started talking about all of these different things that are in here. If you got a flat nose, it's because you got nose trouble. <laughs> That'll preach. <laughs> you don't have no discernment. You got a flat nose. 
you are rejected from eating the bread of your God. If you are a hunchback and bent over, you are only seeing the realm of the earth and you are rejected from eating the bread of your God. If you got broken stones, it's because you're a eunuch and can't reproduce yourself and God has rejected you. If you're a dwarf or you, you got a broken foot or a broken hand or a crook back, you are disqualified. And I would preach that thing until people were ready to run to the altar because that's the goal is to get them disqualified enough to get them to respond and come to an altar. But while I'm preaching this, I'm preaching myself under condemnation. And I'm thinking to myself, I ain't even living this, but I hope somebody will. <laughs> come on, preachers. We think if we preach it hard enough, somebody else will live it. And then when I started reading the New Testament, watch this powerful point. The old covenant is a government of condemnation. And the new covenant is a government of affirmation. Under the old covenant, you were rejected from all of these. But watch this. In the New Testament, every miracle Jesus does is heals one of these hand-picked things that disqualifies you under the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, Jesus finds a woman who's bowed over to the earth. She's a hunchback and can in no wise lift up herself. And under the old covenant, she's disqualified. But Jesus on the Sabbath day, come on somebody, from the realm of the finished work, from the realm of, come on somebody, hallelujah. And in the eyes of these religious dudes, Jesus is breaking the law for doing it on the Sabbath. And secondly, this woman should be disqualified. Oh, I got to preach this a little while. So every one of the miracles he does is one of these in the New Testament. He handpicks them to show you what was disqualified under the Old Covenant is qualified and healed in the New Covenant. Like I said, the Samaritan finds you in whatever condition you're in and says whatever it costs to make you better, I could pay the price. See, grace does not leave you where you're at. It picks you up and transforms your life and gets the death and hell that's in you out of you. Hallelujah. Adam released death and hell on the planet, but Jesus came to get rid of it. How I many he defeated death and hell on the cross? Hallelujah. And he came to qualify the unqualified. And so this woman was bowed to the earth. She was bowed over for 18 years. This to me is a powerful picture of the church who has been taught their whole life to focus here. Look at the realm of the dust. Look at how big the devil is. Look at how bad circumstances are. Look how bad the world is. Look how bad you are. Look how disqualified you are. And she's bowed over and can in no wise lift up herself. She was in that condition for 18 years. 18 is the number of bondage, but watch this. It's also six plus six plus six. Six, six, six. I, 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 in, in my first book that's about to go out of print called Beauty and the Beast, I don't even have it with me, but there's a few copies left. It's about to go out of print. Wrote it in 1993. When I found out, the, let me just say this. This is going to stretch you just a bit. The number of the beast in Revelation chapter 13 was not written with Greek numbers. It was written with Greek letters that had a numerical value of 666. 
Now, there's a historical side of this. I'm not going to touch the eschatological side, but I want to touch this. When I found out that it was written with Greek letters that had a numerical value, God is a master mathematician. Did you ever notice he's big on sevens, fourteens, twelves, everything, even three crosses, three superinscriptions, three days, three nights, all of it's pointing towards resurrection. Because number three means resurrection. But I started, I I found a book called God's Arithmetic by some guy about the last name, N-A-I-S-H, I I think was his last name. I have a copy of it because it's out of print as well, but I like to document where I'm getting stuff from. And this guy did a research on every Greek word in the New Testament and their numerical value. And do you know the very first word that has a numerical value of 666 is the word tradition. And it's where Jesus said, you have made the word of God ineffective by your traditions. Because you see, religion is pro-God, but anti-Christ. It looks like a lamb, but it talks like a dragon. Oh, you're getting too quiet on me now. I'm getting nervous here. And what do you say, Brother House? I'm saying while we keep on watching for something at Walmart to stick on our hand, we might ought to get rid of the religious spirit of tradition that has robbed us of a real relationship with God because it's pro-God but anti-Christ. It looks, it, come on somebody, it's the substitute for relationship with God. And this woman was just bowed to the earth because tradition had taught her. Let me tell you what our biggest enemies are. As we fight through preaching grace, all of us who are making the transition, our biggest problems is with tradition. And people will come to you and say, I don't care what the Bible says. I know what I believe. And most of them have a songbook theology. They know what the songbook says. They know what mom believed, pop believed, grandma believed, but nobody ever read the scripture to see if it's in there. And the moment you start to challenge it, it shakes everything that's in there because you're shaking their traditions. Jesus comes to this woman who's bowed to the earth and she's been in that condition for 18 years and she comes on the Sabbath day and the religious scribes and Pharisees says, there are six days in which men ought to work. Should you not come and be healed on one of those days? And Jesus turns around and he says, wouldn't a man on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his ass and lead him away from the stall to watering? Now, let me first say, I think he's saying to you, you all care more about your animals than you care about people. Secondly, I love what he did. He said they lead them away to water. Because if you're going to change somebody's focus, come on, Zimba, you got to come to the water. You all ain't going to help me preach tonight. Hallelujah. (laughs) You got to bring them to the water. See, when God got ready to get rid of the chaos in Genesis chapter 1, you know what he did? He moved on the face of the water. Come on, help me preach a little bit. He looked in the face of the water because when God leans over and puts his reflection in the water, even if you're bowed to the earth and you come, that's why in Psalm 23, he leads you beside still waters because if he gets you by still waters, it'd be like a mirror. And if you ever look in the mirror and you realize that the man in the mirror is not the old man, James chapter one, if you look into the liberty, the perfect law of liberty and behold your natural face, it is the Greek word Genesis face. If you behold the face of your new birth and remember who you are, you will become a doer of the word and not just a hearer 
you got to come to the water. Let me just drop this little nugget. When they brought them, God told Moses too much here tonight. God told Moses when he was building the tabernacle, make first an altar where the blood is shed. Make second a great big basin called a brazen laver. Solomon called it the sea of glass, a brazen sea. This brazen brass great big basin was made, I don't know if you know this or not, from the looking glasses of the women who stood at the door of the tabernacle. Moses said, I want to take an offering today. Ladies, throw your compacts in. Put your brass mirror and throw it in there. And they melted these mirrors down, these brass mirrors, and they made this great big basin with a top and a bottom, a, a foot, and a, it, was a, it was like a two-tiered, two if you will, tub. And the water that was in that basin came from the smitten rock. And then they would take the sacrifices and sacrifice them here at the brazen altar. And then they would come and wash them and wash their hands and feet in that brazen laver or that brazen sea. So the water that's in the sea or the water that's in this laver came from the smitten rock. And the blood that was in the water came from the sacrifices. So that when you walked up to this mirror and you looked into this mirror and you looked into this water, you had to see yourself through the blood and through the smitten rock, which was Christ. And when you did, come on, somebody. I'm going to drop a big bomb right here. Revelation 15, 2 said, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over the number of his name stand on top of the sea of glass, having the victory over it. I submit to you that that sea of glass is not an ocean somewhere. It was a piece of furniture from the tabernacle of Moses, and he's saying the moment you look and see yourself through the blood, your image is going to change. And you're not going to bow to the image of any beast or any system or any religion. You're going to stand on top of it. Hallelujah. And get the victory because your image has been changed. Jesus handpicks this. He finds another man who's got a hand that's withered. And see, he's disqualified in Leviticus 21, the withered hand. In my book out there titled uh, Unforced Rhythms of Grace, I deal in detail with these particular miracles and what they mean. But see, that to me speaks of fivefold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And it's withered because it's not flowing from the rest of the Sabbath day. And Jesus comes to a man who is disqualified under the old covenant and says, stretch forth your hand. I'll, I won't preach every one of these. He finds, but let me say, let me come back even to this woman, first of all, with, with bowed over to the earth, and she's bowed to the earth. And, he, and this, is, this was powerful to me because he defaults to a covenant that preceded the Mosaic covenant. And he says, ought not this woman who is a daughter of Abraham. So he defaults to something that preceded the law of Moses and gives her identity as a daughter of Abraham. Says, ought not this woman who is a daughter of Abraham be loose from this infirmity on the Sabbath day? And he heals her, disqualified under the old covenant, affirmed in the new. Withered hand, come on, healed. Blind Bartimaeus comes crying out to Jesus. He's the blind man that's disqualified from eating the bread of his God. But he don't, what these, uh, these other religious folks don't understand is the bread of your God is not a loaf sitting in some tabernacle somewhere. Jesus himself was the bread, and he just walked through there. And Bartimaeus says, I love this, because you've got to understand even the, the verbiage of what's going on. Son of David! He's connecting to a Davidic covenant. Son of David! 
Have mercy. He said, he's, he's tapping into the sure mercies of David. Oh, too much to preach here. You know, I did a study one time on David because when David was about to build God a house, he's living, God, David had just built himself a palace of cedar and there's God in an old flapping tent. He said, I think I'm going to bring God up to my standards and he decided he's going to build God a, a house. And the prophet Nathaniel comes down and tells him, do all that's in your heart. Nathan comes down and says, do all that's in your heart. And then he goes back home and God says, I never told you to tell David that. Now you go back and tell David, I'm going to build him a house. The word house there is I'm going to build you a dynasty. And there's always going to be somebody from your loins that will sit on your throne. Let me tell you, so I did a study and I followed down through the lineage of David for hundreds of years through the Chronicles. And it would be 150 years would pass and he would have a son that would do evil. And the Lord would say to him, I would destroy you. But because I made your father David a promise, I'm going to let you off the hook. A hundred years, another son would do the same thing. And God would say, because of my promise to David, I'm going to cut you some slack. 150 years, 200 years, 300 years. I followed the lineage and God kept his covenant way beyond the death of David until now. King Jesus is the royal seed of David who is now sitting on the throne. He has not vacated the throne. So when Bartimaeus, who was disqualified under the old covenant, says, son of David, have mercy on me. Hallelujah. He's tapping into something, and Jesus heals him. We could go through every one of these miracles. I'm going to hit one last one, and then I'm going to quit. I said, God, where in the Scripture is there a dwarf? Because a dwarf is disqualified. And the Lord said to me, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Hey, come on, somebody. And a wee little man was he. That bad boy climbed up in a sycamore tree. Because <laughs> the Lord, he wanted to see it. But watch this whole, I, 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 if I went to each one of these scriptures, we'd be here all night. But two chapters before Jesus goes to the house of Zacchaeus, who's a disqualified dwarf. I, I submit to you that two chapters prior to that, he's in the temple, and this guy is standing in the temple says, I thank my God that I'm not like that sinner and that publican, that tax collector. See, he was a tax collector. And this guy said, but Jesus said, and he gives this parable back there, and he says, there was one that came in and says, I thank God I'm not like that sinner. I fast, I tithe of mint, yada, yada, here's my credentials, look how holy I am. <laughs> And this other dude simply beats on his breast and says, be merciful to me, a sinner. He said, which one of those dudes you think is going to go down to his house justified? Now, that don't make religious folk happy. The next chapter, there's a rich young ruler. He asked Jesus the question I preached about this morning. What must I do to inherit eternal life or the life of the coming age? And Jesus said, well, you've got to keep seeking. Once again, he's under Still, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were in the old covenant because the sacrifice hadn't yet been made. So if you want to ask Jesus what i got to do, he said, here's the rules. And, and this, this, this rich young ruler said, I've done all this from my youth up. And, and Jesus said, yet one thing thou lackest because you always come up short under the old covenant. He says, sell all you got and give it to the poor. And that man went away very sorrowful because he was very rich. He couldn't give up a penny. And then the next chapter opens and says, Zacchaeus is a tax collector and a sinner, and he's very rich. 
He's everything they hate. He's the dude that was in the temple they were pointing at. And he simply climbs up in a sycamore tree because he heard Jesus was going past that way. And he just wanted to see Jesus, who he was. Man, that's my heart, just to see Jesus, who he really is. And when Jesus passes by under that sycamore tree, he looks up at Zacchaeus. Let me say this to you. The sycamore tree, if you look that up in your center column reference, or look it up in the Greek, the sycamore tree there is actually an inferior fig tree. Now that's important because the fig tree was the tree that Adam and Eve made their apron It was their sin management programs, their self-righteousness. It was their man-made religion. That's a pretty good front. An apron will only cover the front. You better hope you never get caught from behind. (laughs) Do you know what's happening in religion right now? The fig leaves are getting crispy. (laughs) And people are getting caught from behind. And we are finding that what Jesus said is true. There is none righteous, no, not even one, based on the, come on, performance of the law. And so he's in an he's in inferior fig tree. And Jesus looks up at this dwarf in a tree and says what I think we need to say to everybody in religion. Come down out of that tree. Come down out of that religious tree. There's a whole nother tree. And he said, I must abide at your house. And Jesus goes to be guest with a man who's a sinner and disqualified in Leviticus. And Jesus doesn't ask Zacchaeus for anything. Watch this. Now, he is blowing their karma. I mean, you talk about whispering. These dudes are, this man has gone to be guest with a man who is a sinner. I hope I'm not offending you here tonight. We have the guy, there's a guy in our church that runs a tattoo parlor in town. He got saved, started coming to church. And once he got saved, he said, what, would you guys mind coming down to my tattoo parlor and just sit there and let your son, my son Jason will go down there, take his guitar and worship at the tattoo parlor. I know y'all might not be happy about this, but more people was getting saved at the tattoo parlor than it was up at the church. They're getting filled with the Holy Ghost. They're asking us questions like, you know, one of them said, how did they get that ark? You know, how did they get, how did they get that ark of the covenant? How did they get that ark and drag it all the way through the desert when it had all them animals on it? It had to be hard to drag that Wrong ark. <laughs> but see, you know what? Stuff we take for granted, a lot of people don't know this stuff. Now, my, hallelujah. It went, usually during my conference, he runs a conference special. We had three of my bishop friends who got tattoos. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting you get one or not get one. I'm not for it, nor am I against it. I, for me personally, I want to avoid as many needles as I possibly can. hallelujah but Jesus had a tattoo I guess you already knew that because the scripture says in Isaiah that you were inscribed on the palm of his hand he had your name tattooed on his hand and when he put the nail there he took you right to the cross with him but what I'm saying is is I think that's probably where Jesus might have tied his donkey was at the tattoo parlor 
Because that's where they needed help at. Sometimes I think we're so isolated that we don't know how to touch creation. I'm not, once again, I'm not suggesting my son ended up, I didn't. Of course, you know, when they get old enough, I let them make their own decisions. And he decided he wanted to get a tattoo. So, no, he didn't tell me for several days he got this tattoo. And somebody told me he got a tattoo. I said, Jason, did you get a tattoo? He said, yeah, I did. I said, let me see it. So he pulls his shirt up on his back. He has the Mother Mary Guadalupe tattooed on his back. I said, Jason. That's a Catholic tattoo. We're not even Catholic. <laughs> he said, well, it's the mother of Jesus, isn't it, Dad? I said, yeah, but for the rest of your life, you think your mother's bad. The mother of Jesus is going to be on your back the rest of your life. <laughs> oh, help us, Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus never asked Zacchaeus for anything. He just shows up, eats with him, and Zacchaeus gets up from dinner and says, if I've done anybody wrong, I'm going to restore to them fourfold. I'm going to, I'm going to sell. I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. Jesus didn't ask him to do that. See, under law, the rich young ruler couldn't give up a penny. But under grace, something of a generous heart will hit you. I'm still waiting for that to happen in grace circles. Because when people found out they weren't under law to give, they quit giving because you know what happens? It shows you what's really in your heart. But when your heart really shifts, your time, your talent, and your treasure, where your heart is, that's where your treasure will also be. And I believe that, you know, when you learn how to grace give, all grace is given. There's three dimensions of giving in the new covenant. We don't give grudgingly, number one. We don't give of necessity, number two. But we give cheerfully. That's third dimension, giving. And what I want you to see is that all of a sudden, something shifted in Zacchaeus without any rules, without anybody telling him he had to do it. It just changed him when Jesus abided at his house. So all the things I'm saying to you is not to give you a license to sin, is to tell you that divine supply only comes when Jesus lives inside of your house. But I put, made all these points to show you that what was disqualified under the old covenant has been healed and qualified in the New Testament. So whatever you're lacking has already been squared away. The balances have been leveled. You're accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. And there's nothing, nothing that can hold you back from eating the bread of your God. Stand on your feet tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you tonight. Hallelujah. For a government affirmation. I thank you that the blind see I thank you that the lame walk I thank you that the hunchback is made straight I thank you that the running sore has been healed and the lepers have been cleansed and the broken foot and the withered hand have been healed and I thank you that the dwarf and the eunuchs have been included in the kingdom of God. I thank you, Lord, that even when John the Baptist was offended because he was walking through a crisis of faith and while he was in prison sent his disciples to say, are you the one or should we look for another? Because you thought he would come with destruction and lead a revolt against the Romans, but when he didn't come the way you thought he did, 
You said, blessed are them that are not offended in me, John. But go tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Tell him that everything that was disqualified under the old covenant is now qualified because he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to set at liberty them that are bruised and to make straight what was crooked. Oh, what an incredible, incredible covenant of good news. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out why people would not want to hear good news. But I thank you that it's being preached in Mobile, Alabama. Hallelujah. 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 I lay my hands on this couple. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And just call forth the anointing that affirms and reconciles the rejected that can come in a place of refuge. Bring them to the water, son. Lead them to the water. Tell them to look within, look deep, and behold the face of their father. And a roar shall come forth even out of their belly that shall cause them to say, I'm going back and take my rightful place. And when I do, it's going to rain. Because what was once a waste howling wilderness will become a garden of God. Hallelujah. So I pray that there is anointing that breaks yokes, religious yokes of bondage and a boldness to see. But Lord, I, I declare over them what was crooked is about to be made straight in a highway in the desert for our God is about to be made where people can find a road that is a path that the eye of the vulture has never seen where no fool errs therein but a highway called holiness that's not based on performance but a holiness that's imparted to them as a free gift of God Hallelujah. So I say, bring them to the water. Hallelujah. Speak to their potential. The smell of fresh bread baking will drift from this place. And the smell will become attractive. People begin to be drawn to that which is feeding them. Says the Lord your God. Hallelujah. Come on, give God some praise in this room tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a scene, I'm reminded, I don't know you all here, but I, I, there's a scene in the movie, The Lion King. Is it all right if I speak to you? There's a scene in the movie, The Lion King, where he says to him, but you don't know my past. You don't know my history. And that, that prophet, have you seen the movie, The Lion King? And that I call him that prophet Rafiki. He goes to hit him. First he hits him upside the head. And, and, and the, the young lion said, what would you do that for? Because he just slapped him upside the head and said, your father never left you. And then he says to Rafiki, he says, you don't know my past. You don't know my history. And the prophet goes to hit him upside the head again and he ducks. And the prophet said, see there, you can learn from your past.
because you were born to reign. Hallelujah. There's value. I hear the Lord saying there's value in you and great potential. Hallelujah. You were born. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You were born for greatness. And I hear the Lord saying, Hallelujah. Come with me to the water and behold the glory of the Lord and the beauty of the Lord that is in your vessel. Because great value is it. I hear the Lord saying as well for you, sis. God is going to turn some stuff around on your behalf. And you're going to see the miraculous hand of God begin to change some circumstances for you. Hallelujah. This is the beginning of a massive turnaround. And as God begins to turn some things around, pieces of your life are going to begin to fit back together. And God is going to begin to restore a whole lot of stuff that you've lost and some peace and some joy and some happiness. And you've sometimes felt like that it eluded you. And it's been like almost like a carrot in front of a rabbit. And you'd reach for it. It seemed like it would, it would be taken from you. And it seemed like you said, what's the use to even try anymore? But the Lord says, hallelujah. I've got great things in store for you as well. And I'm going to begin to break some cycles and bring some change and some deliverance even in your life as you allow the Holy Spirit to govern and work inside of you. I'll work, says the Lord. I will work. And who will let it? If you allow it, I will shift and change some stuff, says the Lord. Hallelujah. I feel like there's some healing going on in your body as well. I feel like you're, the Lord's touching your physical body right now. Hallelujah. Just receive it right now. There's several things I feel like in your body that the Lord is touching. I feel like the Lord's touching you in your pancreas into the blood sugar levels of your body. I feel like you're going to notice some change, especially in your feet at night where they feel like there's almost like a tingling and a swelling in your feet in the evening where your ankles and knees will swell. Uh, in the name of Jesus, that's going to begin to dissipate. There's some stuff uh, that God is touching in your body also into the kidneys and liver that God is going to begin to change where your system is going to begin to renew some stuff that's damaged from years past, but God is a restorer and a healer we thank you for it in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus hallelujah in the name of Jesus light is coming into the dark place God has moved in the neighborhood God has moved in the neighborhood God has moved in the neighborhood hallelujah Hallelujah. And when he does, he starts a major renovation program. And I just hear the Lord saying, receive that and watch me do some things that only I can do. Hallelujah. If you trust me, hallelujah, I'll bring about the change, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Give God some praise in this room tonight. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Listen, uh, Brian, can you come up here? Brian is a, is an awesome young man. He is a he's a son of this house, and he is a, a loved son of the Father. Um, three years ago, he said, "Man, we should have a Grace Conference." And back then, man, Brian had had just discovered Grace, and every time I turned around, he had a bunch of Grace grenade pins in his mouth, and he was throwing them everywhere. <laughs> and I was trying to calm him down. I said, "Man, you're picking too many fights." <laughs> I see you on Facebook everywhere, and I said, but man, he was just, he was just so excited, and uh, this is the third year we've done this, man, and this has been Brian's vision from day one, but I just feel like the, the Holy Spirit really uh, was prompting me for you to pray for him. Absolutely. Is that okay? Yep, I was headed. And uh, here, I, I, as well, you know, I want to pray for Brian first, but I just, 
if you're okay, we just want to kind of open it up for prayer. If anybody Absolutely. needs prayer to come up here, uh, let them be up here. I'll be up here. Paul, if you don't mind hanging out. Um, we, we said we were going to do Q&A, but we're going we're gonna to do whatever the Holy Spirit leads us to do. So um, we're going to have a little bit of prayer time. But I just want to pray for Brian first, and then uh, we'll just kind of hang out up here a little bit. Father, I thank you for the life of this young man. Yes. Hallelujah. The journey that yet lays before him and the great adventure. The great adventure that lies before him. I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying to you, you will never know again the smell of the Egyptian flesh pots nor the whips and chains of Egyptian bondage. I hear the Lord saying, Moses one day got up out of the plushness of the palace and he left the palace and he must made the mistake of going to see God's people in bondage and when he saw them in bondage, what was really in him surfaced. His destiny was to be a deliverer and he started to deliver because that was what was in him to do. And in order to do that, he had to seemingly leave the plushness of the palace because he had respect to the recompense of the reward. And I've said this a lot of places I've been. What motivates me is not how many people know your name or how many books you write or how much you're on television or any of those things. What really, to me, is the focus that drives me is knowing that my children and my grandchildren will never know the bondage of religion that I grew up underneath of, that it, what I preached has literally given them back a future, that we are framing the worlds that we live in by the words we speak. And I hear the Lord saying, I'm going to give you the tongue of a ready writer and the tongue of the learned. And you're going to speak some things as God develops some things within your heart that's going to reach some people and begin to set many captives free and many bondages and many shackles and many burdens will begin to break under the anointing of the yoke that's been on them. Yokes will be broken. And we think many times in terms of yokes of sin, but they're yokes of bondage, whether it's religion. If the son, In other words, if you change one set of, of, of bondage for another, if you shift from religious bondage to substance abuse bondage, you're still in bondage. But who the Son sets free is free indeed. Hallelujah. And I hear the Lord saying, even as you allow the Lord to, to train and mold and equip you, that you have a future of great adventure and deliverance. And some of that adventure is going to be like Paul talked about today. Some of it is going to be resistance from people, but you're going to learn how to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove and learn how to hear the Holy Spirit, who to say to it, when to cast pearls, whether you're casting them before swine or you're casting them to people that value the pearls that you have. So I just pray that there's just a spirit of revelation. I just lay my hands on him. To say what we have we give in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you for this young man. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. You have anything all you're welcome to speak to. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
One more word. I just feel like the brother that I forgot your name sat back right here. Look up at me, buddy. Buddy's buddy. Come up here, man, buddy. Hallelujah. I don't know if this reads you at all, but I hear the Lord saying you are absolutely not disqualified. Hallelujah. Absolutely not disqualified. What was broken can be healed and all that was rejected and disqualified under an old covenant Jesus heals it in the New Testament I don't know whether it's just emotion or feeling like I don't know your history and I just suit not not because that's really not an issue because your sins and iniquities he remembers no more that's not the issue here but I feel like the Lord is saying to tell you again you're not disqualified that I've invested a great treasure Hallelujah. And I'm not on a sin hut. I'm on a righteousness hut. You know, I believe even when God was about to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, everybody said he was going there looking for sin to destroy it. But he wasn't on a sin hunt. He was on a righteousness hunt. Because Abraham said, if you could find 50 righteous, would you spare the city? God said, I'll spare it for 50 people. If you could find 40, would you spare it? I'll spare it for 40. Would you spare it for twice? I'll spare it for... I think what happened was Abraham stopped negotiating way too soon because he said, would you spare it for 10? God said, I'd spare it for 10. God wasn't looking for the righteousness of 10 men. He was looking for the righteousness of just one man. And that one man is Jesus Christ. And that's where our righteousness comes. And that's where our qualification comes. I see the Lord saying there's yet ministry inside of you. There is a river. In, hallelujah. Inside of you. A well of living water. And I just hear the Lord saying, hallelujah. You're accepted in the beloved. You know, there's a place where Jesus says, or not Jesus, but when God says to Mary, thou art highly favored. Sometimes favor doesn't always look like favor. Kind of goes along with what Paul preached a little bit this morning. Sometimes favor don't look like favor. God said, you're highly favored, Mary. And the first thing you know, she's ostracized for being an unwed mother. When Joseph got the coat of many collars, he was favored, but he ends up in prison for a couple of years. Favor don't always look like favor, but that's not the end of God's story. That's not the end. God's end is always glory. And, and, and there's only one other place in the New Testament that that phrase, highly favored, is used. And, and it's the exact same phrase that says you're accepted in the beloved. It is literally that Greek phrase. Hallelujah. You're highly favored. You're accepted in the beloved. Thank you, Lord, for this man of God. I thank you, Lord, for the deposit that's in him. Hallelujah. I just pray that you stir it up. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Love you, buddy. Hallelujah. Now I'm done. Hallelujah.